Well, it's been an interesting week, to say the least. Pastor Brandon left with uh, 16 kids in a van uh, Monday. Was it Monday? Yeah, it was Monday. <laughs> wow. And uh, I thought, all right, so just got to, you know, we'll fill in for a pastor any way we can and, and go from there and then... Um, Pastor Andrew is a very resilient man. He's very healthy, young man, um, younger than me, unfortunately. Um, I figured, you know, I'd see him back in the office within a day or two. Well, God has other plans, and uh, he is, uh, him and Casey are doing okay. Just keep praying for them. Um, I talked to him yesterday again, and he really, 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 really wanted to be here and preach this morning. Um, so as sick as he was... He still had God's work on his mind, so he misses you guys, and um, I told him not to hesitate if he needs anything from us, that we have a whole church full of people who will be there for him, and Casey, and Judah, and Simon, and a drop of a hat, so they know we're there, they know we're there for them, and uh, things like that. So um, with that being said, Pastor Brandon was away at camp, and I couldn't necessarily text him and say, hey, prep a sermon for Sunday, and Brother Doug had to work this morning, and um, Brother Lee is out of town, so um, we'll take care of it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this will won't bore you guys to death, and hopefully we'll all be able to get something out of it. So, um, we're going to be in the Book of Daniel this morning. So, if you want to, if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open up to the Book of Daniel, chapter one. We're going to start there. But I want to say a couple of things that I've heard a lot lately, and I just want to draw your attention to them. That's kind of a segue into what we're going to talk about this morning. And so I was in the line at the Sam's Club a couple weeks ago. And um, we were all in the check self-checkout line. By the way, does anybody else agree with me that if you use self-checkout, you should get a discount since you don't work there? Anyways, that's just my pet peeve, I guess. Um, but no, and there was a guy standing there and we were, and I heard him talking about something that was going on in current events. And he's like, you know, the world's out of control. And man, I've been hearing that a lot. The world's out of control. The world's on fire. I've heard people make statements and comments like I've never seen it this bad. Why are people so mean? They're questioning. Why are they so rude, selfish, controlling, opinionated? Ignorant, loud, fixated on sin and loss. I heard a preacher not too long ago say that it's because Christians have lost home field advantage. And I sat there and I thought about it for a minute, what he meant by that. And I remember back to my childhood, which wasn't that long ago. Carry the one. No, it wasn't that long ago. And, and what he meant by that was you know, when I was a kid, when he was a kid, people respected the church. They respected God's Word. They respected Christians. Even if they weren't Christians themselves, they respected the one true God. You know, we could pray anywhere we wanted to without criticism. I heard a group of teenagers the other day make fun of a family who was sitting in a restaurant because they bowed their head to pray before their meal. We could take our Bible to work with us 
and read it on lunch break if we want. The Ten Commandments once stood in many public and judicial forums. And then something happened. Something happened that a lot of people say and think, well, this has never happened before. I've never seen this before. And it has happened before. And we have seen it before. Just maybe not with our own physical eyes, but thanks to God we have the Bible to use as our guide because everything and anything that we can encounter here, we have an answer to right here. So somehow over the last generation or so, there's been an idol put in our path. And Christians have become idle in their worship to the one true living God because of it. So today we're going to look at idol, I-D-O-L, worship, and idol, I-D-L-E, worship. Both of these things are having a massive effect on our world that is unprecedented. Two words that sound the same are spelled different and have very different meanings, but all can come back together to help us understand what it is we're going through in society, in our country, our community, and our world right now. Before we get into the scripture part this morning, I want us to define those two words. Idol, I-D-O-L, as far as the dictionary goes, is a noun. It means an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship. The word idol, I-D-L-E, can be used as an adjective or verb, and that means avoiding work, lazy, not active, or in use, characterized by inaction or absence of significant activity, without purpose, purpose or effect, pointless, spend time doing nothing, move aimlessly or lazily. Wow, that's a lot of stuff in idol. From a biblical perspective, idolatry is defined as the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. And that's how Christians should view everything, guys, is from a biblical perspective and worldview. If we proclaim to be a Christian this morning, <clears throat> this should be how we view the world. Not through a lens that the world wants to put on us. This morning we're going to be looking in the book of Daniel to see what God's Word has to say on the subject of idol and idol worship. I-D-O-L and I-D-L-E. If you have your Bibles, I know you're probably already there. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew seat in front of you. If you don't have that, you can follow along on the screen. And we're going to start in verse 1, chapter 1. And it reads like this. In the third year of the reign, and I'm going to apologize for butchering these names here. I'm just telling you now. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple and his of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's place. He was to teach them 
the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Verse 6 says this, Among those who were chosen <clears throat> excuse me, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, I think, and to Azariah Abednego. So here we are in the first seven verses, and we get challenged in the biblical vocabulary with those names right off the bat and probably fail miserably, but that's okay. But here's what we see. We see Nebuchadnezzar had made his first invasion into Jerusalem. There was This was punishment for the people there allowed by God for the wrongdoing that they had done. We see Daniel and his three friends being exiled out of Judah to Babylon and they, because they meet the criteria of the king. They were young. They were strong. They were teachable, in good shape. The Bible says here, without defect. I want you to think about that. Parents, if you're here, listen to me this morning. The enemy is seeking the young, the strong, the ones without defect, the ones that can have a mass impact on society in a negative way. Pray for your kids constantly, instill in them the way of God constantly. They met every criteria that the king laid out. They were the poster boys for the king's plan. So he brought them away from Judah into Babylon to train and teach them all the ways of the Babylonian culture. Let's remember that word, culture. They had an allotment of food and wine from the king's table to eat and drink. Every aspect of this was to remind Daniel whose name, whose name means God is my judge. That's what Daniel's name means. That he was to operate by a Babylonian worldview and not a godly worldview. But Daniel would face his first major challenge with the pagan worldview in the next verses. So let's take a look at verse 8 in that same chapter. Verse 8 says this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief, the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused <clears throat> the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men at your age? And the king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. <clears throat> so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Over in the book of Leviticus chapter 11, we see that 
God points out to Moses and Aaron a list of clean and unclean foods. Daniel, being a man of integrity in his heart, for the one true God made a decision to take a stand. So here's Daniel in his pagan land facing this decision. He's like, I'll live in your land. I'll learn your language. I'll go to your school. But I will not defile myself. Daniel took a stand for his God in a crumbling world. He said he would not defile himself. He could have just sat there idly by, gave in, ate the king's food, drank the king's wine, because of every excuse in the book. What's what everyone else is doing? It's what's available. So Daniel took a stand in that manner. He said, I'll do all these things and I have no choice but to be here because you put me here. This is where God wants me to be for some reason or another. But I'm going to stand on what my principle and conviction is for God. I'm not going to defile myself. In a world of chaos all around us doesn't mean that we have to fall victim to the worshiping of other things that are not pleasing to God. Our current world's culture is telling us that if we don't do what everybody else is doing, then there's something wrong with us. Remember I told you that preacher said we lost home field advantage. I I love listening to that preacher and he he is a great teacher of this particular book in Daniel. And so I decided that I wasn't going to stop in this here at this particular passage because we could look at this in a lot of different ways and say that Daniel took a stand. He didn't, he didn't do the things that to do to defile himself, to cause himself harm in, God's, in the sight of God. And that could have been the end of the story. <clears throat> but over in chapter 3, we find another story about idol, idol worship and idol worship. That's the story that a lot more of us are familiar with, maybe so, than the first one. It involves an image of gold 90 feet high and nine feet or 90 feet high and nine feet wide, and a hot burning furnace of fire. King Nebuchadnezzar, the same one who brought them out of, of Judah and Jerusalem, made an image of gold and set it up on a plain in Dura. This was more than likely so it could be as visible as possible. I got thinking about some of the stretches of road I've been on and places I've been to where you can see for far off. <clears throat> Take Kansas, for example. I've been to Kansas quite a few times. There are some parts of Kansas where you can sit and watch your dog run away for three days <laughs> because it is flat, barren, and empty, and you just sit there and, yeah, he's still doing good. It's no doubt that the king wanted this to be seen from a lot, you know, very far around. So he sent out this proclamation and made a command. That's what the Bible says. He made a command 
that when music sounded, that all the people of every nation and tongue were to bow down and worship this image. And if they did not, they would be thrown into a furnace of fire. So the Bible says, so music sounded and, the, and people of every nation and tongue fell down and worshiped. Kind of sounds a little bit like what we got going on now, doesn't it? Everybody around us is falling down and worshiping at the sight of things that <clears throat> our culture, our media, our schools say need to be inclusive but in the sight of God are considered an abomination. They want us to think that it's acceptable and that we must bow down to it and accept its rightful place in society. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do. He set up this idol and he wanted it to have its rightful place in his kingdom, his world for his ego and his purpose. An idle-minded person who has no concept of who Jesus is and who God is and who the Holy Spirit is and the three of them being one maybe not may not be able to understand what we're talking about here this morning. But if you're a Christian and you've been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ <clears throat> and you sit idly by while these things are being impressed upon you and you don't take a stand for God, that's someone who's a faith talker and not a faith walker. So here we go. We're going to talk about three faith walkers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here we go. They, the king plays the music and they bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not. They would not bow to the king's idol. So someone ratted them out. They're not doing this. The king got mad. I mean, he was heated, no pun intended. Um, he summoned for them and, and gave them one last chance to bow down. Now, in the Scripture, I urge you to go back and read chapter 3 of, of Daniel. We're going to read some here in just a second. But in the Scripture, it says, if you don't bow down, you'll immediately be thrown into the furnace. <clears throat> so it, it says something to these young men. They meant something to him in order for them him to give them a second chance because they weren't immediately thrown in. I just thought that that was interesting. So he summoned them. He gave them one last chance to bow. And here we go, chapter 3, starting at verse 15. Reads like this, Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 15, says, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, <clears throat> you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we will not, we will, 
we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God. I love that 16th verse that says that they said, we do not have to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Folks, don't feel like that you have to <clears throat> defend your right to pray and your right, your God-given right to pray, your God-given right to His Word and things of that nature just because the world thinks you do. These three Hebrew, boy, Hebrew boys were not idle or frozen in their response. They reacted quickly. They took a stand knowing that the same God who said in Isaiah 43 verse 2 that when you walk through the fire you will not be burned, the flames will not set you ablaze, was the same God who is going to be with them in any fiery situation that would come their way. Friends, we can sit idly by and worship this world's <clears throat> and its sin or we can be in this world and realize that we don't have to be of this world. We can worship the true living God by taking a stand and not defiling ourselves and falling victim to the sin all around us. These four men knew the God they served would deliver them one way or the other. Their action of their worship proved it. That's why I love worship. It's an action word. It's a verb. It's something we do. I love the fact that I get to come up here and lead worship in music every Sunday. I love the fact that I get to <clears throat> be part of our mental health program. I love the fact that I get to part, be part of our upper basketball program. But more importantly, I love the fact <clears throat> that I know that my worship means that God will never leave me no matter what fiery situation I'm in. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Richard, I've lost my way. I'm sitting idly by and getting caught up in the world's web of sin. As I was going through this this week, when I found out on Thursday that I was really going to have to preach today, I started, <clears throat> started uh, looking more intently. And this thing ate me up. Y'all, I'm, I'm going to talk to you for real. Okay, person to person. Because the culture we live in is dragging us down and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. <clears throat> you want to know the reason why the king brought, King Nebuchadnezzar brought those four men out of the place they were and brought them to Babylon? It's because they, they were less likely to run into the one true God and evidence of him in Babylon than they were in Judah or Jerusalem. Because in order to de-Christianize someone, you got to take them out of where they're at. Folks, that's where we're at right now in this country, in this world, in this community. We don't have home field advantage anymore, as Tony Evans said. We don't have it. We need to realize that and understand that just because we don't have home field advantage anymore doesn't mean <clears throat> that we can't still worship and serve the one true God. doesn't mean that we have to go through the same thing and do the same things that the rest of the world does. We can take a stand. A lot of the times, we're like, well, we're waiting on God. No. A lot of times, God's waiting on us. He promised He'll be there for us. Promised in His Word, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. 
I got to thinking about things of this culture that <clears throat> I look at and partake in, and it's, I started feeling conviction to the point where it made me miserable. I probably made my wife miserable. I'll give you some for instances. Some of the TV shows I watch, they're not godly at all. Have no godly prospect to it. Some of the things I think when someone cuts me off in traffic, that's not godly at all. And the list goes on and on and on and on. I'm not telling you that so I can stand up here and you can say, man, he's got a lot of faults. You're right. <clears throat> I know that every morning waking up and looking in the mirror. But I'm telling you that because we all face the same enemy. And he's out there trying to throw us into a fiery furnace. Let me tell you how that story ends. <clears throat> so the three Hebrew boys, they didn't bow down. So the king said, make the fire seven times hotter. He bound them up, tossed them in the fire. The fire was so hot that it actually killed the men who threw them in there. Then you have this sight that King Nebuchadnezzar sees. And I can, I can just envision it. He's like looking pretty, probably pretty proud of himself. And he looks in there and he goes, wait a minute. One, two, three, four. And he summons people. And this is, this is the way I, I envision I'm a picture person. He summons for someone and says, didn't we bind and throw three people into the furnace? And they said, yep, that's what we did. Tied them up, threw them in there. One, two, three. He said, well, why do I see four? Loose, walking around. And the fourth one is in the image of the Son of God. When I was a kid... We used to sing a song called, He's Still in the Fire. And the song title, and the song lyrics went, <clears throat> My mama read a story in the Bible long ago about Shadrach, Meshach, and Olabendigo, how the wicked king demanded they be thrown into the flames because they would not bow and defy their father's name. And it went to the chorus and said, or it went to another, another verse, and it basically said that the, kid asked his mom, well, where'd the fourth man go? And his mama looked at him and said, he's still in the fire. He's right there. You don't have to go through the fire situation by yourself. Maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea anything of what we're talking about. And that's okay. It just means you probably don't have a relationship with God. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to tell you that if you've never made that professional faith, the only way to heaven is to do that. No amount of good work or good deed. Even if you say, I'm going to take a stand for God and you're not a Christian, you never ask Him to be the Lord of your life, never ask for forgiveness. It doesn't matter how much you stand. You got to make that profession. You got to ask him. 
The Bible says if you do that, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Not you might be, not you. Yeah, you got a 50-50 shot. Speaking of culture, 50-50 shots, I saw, I stood in line for a Mountain Dew yesterday for 20 minutes <clears throat> at the gas station because the Mega Millions is $795 million. That's a lot of money. I wonder how many people across the country took the only money they had and put it on the lotto instead of taking one stand and step for God. It's amazing the things that we see as insignificant. And I can hear the excuse now. I can hear it now because I've, I've uttered it myself years ago before I understood what being a Christian meant and what my walk needed to look like. Man, if I had that much money, I could do so much good for the church and and for people and in general and all that stuff and it would just be wonderful. We'd have a new sanctuary, a new building. We'd do this, we'd do that. I'd make sure the pastor drove the finest car and, and all these things like that. And you know what your pastor wants you to do? He wants you to take a stand for God. How do you do that? Don't get caught up in the things of the world. And if you feel like you are, go to a brother or sister. We're supposed to count on each other, right? We're supposed to rely on each other. You can serve. You can worship. You can do all these things. The Bible is full of ways that you can please God if you're a Christian. Folks, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the one thing that you can do to please God and make heaven shout this morning is to come down here and pray and ask God to forgive you of your sin. Don't allow the culture to tell you, well, that's old-fashioned, that's outdated. Because let me tell you something. That culture is going to be the one that stands before God on Judgment Day. And Him say, depart. I never knew you. Maybe you've put off other decisions. You don't know where to serve. I just don't feel like I fit in anywhere. I love Carl. Carl came here and he jumped in head first. Missions, basketball, mental health. I mean, he he just he's like, I just wanna I just wanna work. I wanna serve. And I don't mean to call Carl out, but that's my buddy. I love him with all my heart. Jumps in both head and feet. Let me tell y'all something. Any man who would make a flight on a Wednesday, a return or on a Thursday, a return flight on a Friday, so he could be back and ref four basketball games with people who do not appreciate him on a basketball court. That's the man I desire to be like. See, I desire to be like that because Carl desires to be what God wants him to be. So if you're putting off things that you know that you should be doing, like getting involved, being baptized, 
You may have been saved for 143 years, but you haven't followed the Lord in baptism. Maybe today is your day. I think we got water in there, don't we? I ain't above it. I'm going to be here all day anyway, so. <clears throat> You're undecided about where you want to call your church home. Any of those things God can help you with. Just come and ask Him to pr come and pray to ask Him to help you. You know what? I tell you this morning. If you don't have any other reason to come and pray, come and pray and lift up our senior pastor and his family in their time of need. Let's not worry about what our neighbor will say. Oh, they're moving to the front. They must have something to deal with. We all got something to deal with. Let's not worry about what the passerby who might look through our beautiful doors back there and say, man, all those people are up front praying. Let's not worry about that. But for one minute, let's make our only worry to please God. You bow your heads this morning. If you're here and the culture has influenced you to be acceptable of things that you're not proud of, you know that doesn't bring God glory and honor, then you can come pray about that. I've done a lot of praying about that personally myself this week because I need God to help me to eradicate some of those things from my life that I can serve Him better. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord is your Savior and you want to feel what true freedom means and you want to understand why this six foot three, 200 and well, mind your business on that, pound guy is up here blubbering and crying about because he can't control his emotion. Then I invite you to come. If you've been putting off baptism or coming and joining a church home or wanting to be involved in a specific ministry, we got all kinds of them. Nursery, mental health, those the kids' programs, upward basketball. You come. Pray that God will put you back in the center of His will. If you have nothing else to pray about, and you want to come and lift up our senior pastor who's always here for us. He is the first one to pray when we call him and reach out. And his family, you come and pray for them. We're going to sing in just a minute. Friend, you don't have to be ashamed and embarrassed about serving the Lord. Jesus Christ was ripped of all his clothing. He was beaten 
repeatedly spit on and then hung on display for the whole world to see as he agonized and died for you and for me. He bore no shame. The only thing he did was bore our sin. And this morning he is ready to forgive us of all of that that holds us back. Father, thank you that you love us. Lord, with a love that is just beyond anything that we could ever explain. I think the reason why so many people cry or so many people laugh when, or whatever when they talk about your love, God, is because they just don't have the words and they need some way to let out the expression. Thank you for giving us those expressions. Thank you for giving us the ability to lift our hands, to use our voices to give you worship and praise. Father, I pray today if someone here that needs to make a decision, they would come and meet me. We could pray together. More importantly, Lord, that they could come and meet with you this morning and pray. Father, I pray as we go now into this time of invitation that you would have those that need to respond, respond. I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to always be careful in what we do and say out in this world, God, when we're representing you. Lord, help us to not get wrapped up in our culture. But help us, Lord, to stay covered up in your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.